0: Hey I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Hey Lizzie. Hi Sam. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm really really good. Um, How do you feel about today's episode? I am so thoroughly pumped for this movie, and I didn't want to do another movie from 1999. <laughs> <laughs> that was apparently a very subtextual year. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, we had two in a row, and I was like, why not make it a third? We could just call it a mini series. Yes, we're exactly. meant to do this. Yeah, let's just do every movie based on when it was released. Yes, we're calling back up to 2022. Perfect. Yeah, so today we're talking about being John Malkovich. I personally really love this movie. Lizzie how do you feel about it? I watched it in college
1: and was like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) and watching it this time I gleaned a lot more from it and actually enjoyed it a lot more than I think the first time. I'm so confused and this is the kind of movie I would like look up a bunch of shit on the internet to like help me parse (laughs) through my Conglomerate feelings about, Mm -hmm. but I have you instead. So this is like exactly
0: what I want to be doing. I'm like a liaison for you and being John Malkovich. Absolutely. A translator, if you will. Yes. I would like to think that I have a grip on this movie. (laughs) (laughs) But similarly to you, yeah, I watched it in college and was like, wow, that movie's so good. And then I didn't think about it for a while. Until I remembered that Cameron Diaz was in it. And I was like, what role does she play again? And then I was like, oh, that was fucking gay. Yeah. Uh, You know, that didn't stick with me.
1: Like, whenever mm -hmm. you said, I'm doing Being John Malkovich, I was like, is that movie gay at all? Like, that
0: stuff just floated right out of my head. There's so much going on. (laughs) Truly. And they do it really masterfully. Like, it doesn't feel like it's ever too much. But there is so many different themes and plots going in different directions that it's hard to kind of like when you think of move of this movie just think of one like singular thing.
1: No, 100%. There's so many like uh, unique imagery, unique character development, unique mm-hmm. themes that are all like mashed together in a way that I don't think has been done necessarily in another movie so well. Maybe, honestly, you know, this movie, I would put it in the same, like, Venn diagram circle as Get Out in a weird way. Yeah. Like, the takeover and the, like, parsing of identity and consciousness. Mm -hmm. And,
0: yeah. Ooh, uncomfortable, too. There's been fan theories that actually speculate that, like, Get Out is a sequel of sorts to this film, which, you know, Spike oh. Jones and Charlie Kaufman and Jordan Peele have responded saying that wasn't the like Jordan Peele said that wasn't his intent when making Get Out. But he likes like the fan theories that speculate like Katherine Keener, who plays the mother in Get Out, who also plays Maxine in this movie, could have continued her life and that the woman who plays the girlfriend in Get Out is like the daughter at the end of this film.
1: Whoa. Okay. I did not connect that at all. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, actually. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I didn't realize, yeah, sure. They're in the same universe. Why not?
0: <laughs> I would like to think so. I think it's a fun thing to play with. But um, Lee, also you like this movie. How do you feel about it?
2: Yeah. Great movie. Love Spike Jonze. Uh, filmography, Charlie Kaufman. I was like a big Charlie Kaufman nerd in high school and college. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear hear y'all's thoughts.
0: Yeah, well, let's jump right in. So, like Lee was saying, this film is directed by Spike Jones, uh, who's most prominently known for today, I think, her, which received a smattering of like really great nominations from the Academy Awards in 2013. This was his first ever like feature length directorial debut. What? This is his first feature? Yes. Who, wh- what? What? <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. So the. Pre-production of this film is like actually really insane. So Spike Jones, I'm a super nerd for him. Uh, He got his start doing like guerrilla style filmography for like skateboarders. Oh, cool. And then got like a little bit of a promotion and started doing music videos for like the Beastie Boys, The Breeders, Sonic Youth, like these huge names. And then um, (laughs) he was married from the years of 1999 to 2003 to Sofia Coppola, Wow. And the the script for this film was actually given to Francis Ford Coppola, who then gave it to Spike Jones, because he was like, oh, I like this. Maybe you'll like this. Wow.
1: Cool. Yeah. Wow. What a way to, like, introduce yourself to the world as, like, a Hollywood filmmaker. And also, like, what an opportunity, because it's a pretty, I would assume, like, a pretty well-budgeted mm-hmm. film. I don't know how big Cameron and... What's the main guy's? John Cusack. John Cusack. I yeah. don't know how big they were at the time. I'm assuming they're already pretty much a big deal. So, yeah, could you imagine like your first fucking feature with like <laughs> today's like Timothée Chalamet mm-hmm. and like Lily James or whatever? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So, this was both like Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones's like a concerted effort to say, because this was Charlie Kaufman's first feature length film script okay. as well they're both kind of trying to establish themselves saying like i can actually do this and it's actually pretty good so i i love spike jones i think like all the people he's dated is so interesting to me like Sophia coppola went on to direct lost in translation mm-hmm. and she has said that that character that's played by giovanni ribisi is not exactly spike jones but she can't refute the fact that it is very similar to Spike Jones, Right, because I've always heard the rumor that that was kind of based on her uh, divorce.
1: I didn't realize it was to Spike Jones, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, I can definitely see the similarities. <laughs>
0: and he's such a, like, a freaking cutie pie who's also in a relationship <laughs> with Karen O of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. <gasps>
1: He's got some great taste in women, let me tell you. Complex
0: creators. Exactly. Like really good taste. And it's they're still really good friends. And so he got Karen O to do the whole score for Well Where the Wild Things Are. Oh yeah. It's one of my favorite scores like ever. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but back to Charlie Kaufman. So like I said, he before this had been working in television and he was using this script. To shop around and get himself jobs and it was working but he was adamant on not changing the main character from John Malkovich because this was this was produced for a very long time and and multiple producers came up to him and were like, how about we pick somebody else? Maybe not John Malkovich. And he was like, absolutely not. That
1: was actually one of my, like, key questions while I was watching this. I was like, was there, like, a short list of, like, (laughs) it could be Julie Andrews, it could be Cameron Diaz herself, but no, it's funny, like, why John Malkovich?
0: Yeah. He was approached about this movie so many times and had to say (laughs) no so many times. Like, you really bag yourself into a corner if Uh your, like, title
1: character can literally only be one (laughs) act like and they have to say yes yeah
0: and so just a little bit about who John Malkovich was like in this moment in time was he was he started off as a theater actor and then got like an Emmy and like a few Oscar nominations so he was like a name in the industry but he's not like the Tom Cruise of the moment like I don't think I think my girlfriend was like who is John Malkovich
1: Which is funny because people in the movie even say like, wait, aren't you that one guy from that movie you (laughs) actually aren't in?
0: Yes, exactly. So I think he's like a C-list celebrity at this point in history. And like, I think that works for the plot so well that he's like recognizable enough that it kind of, it's just kind of like a quirky thing that you get to like just be him for a while. Yeah. And honestly, it kind of plays more into the
1: theme of like becoming someone else if that person isn't Brad Pitt. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. because... You kind of just want to be someone else with an interesting life and like a C-list actor is an interesting life that isn't like, oh, well, I want to date specifically Angelina Jolie, so I'll be Brad Pitt.
0: You know Uh what I mean? Yeah, it's it's enough of like an elevation of normal life to feel like a treat, you know, for 15 (laughs) minutes that you get to be inside of them. Right. So the plot of this film is a puppeteer discovers a portal that leads literally into the head of movie star John Malkovich. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's jump into this film. Just a quick disclaimer. I'm going to say Malkovich about 3,000 fucking times. (laughs) I think if we wanted to drink every time someone in this film said Malkovich. (laughs) Well, there's that one scene that we would just become like shit face wasted (laughs) immediately. Okay. Yeah. So, um. We start this film and we meet Craig, who's played by John Cusack, and he's a struggling puppeteer in New York City. He's married to Lottie, who's played by Cameron Diaz, uh, who is an animal wrangler. And I think it's great that they casted Cameron for this part because she's known as kind of like a showstopper, like a beautiful woman. And it was said on set that like members of the production team didn't realize that she was Cameron Diaz when she was like in costume. Yeah. Yeah. They really did a good job
1: of making her like not ugly, but just like frumpy and mm-hmm.
0: kind of I don't know her hair. It's really the wig. Yeah, the wig does it all. The does w- all the work. Yeah, they do a great job with that wig, and um, so she's an animal wrangler uh, of sorts. And her their apartment is filled with animals, including a chimp named Elijah.
1: I don't know how I feel about having a chimp as a pet. They kind of
0: scare me a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why. That, that's always like, not always. I don't run into people with chimps all that often, but like it doesn't sit with me very well either.
1: Yeah. And I, I would never own a chimp or have a chimp as a friend. I
0: like that it goes to more therapy than I
1: do. Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> it is in therapy. But later that day, Craig gets punched in the face while street performing, so he has to look for another job. So he answers a job listing uh, at a place called Lester Corp, where they look for a man with fast hands who is preferably short statured.
1: Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, John Cusack's not that short statue. Oh, (laughs) because of the floor. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, what the fuck was up with that short (laughs) ceiling office building? I guess, actually, no, I know what the fuck's up. It made me so claustrophobic and just, like, you can even see the character, like, uh, John Cusack's character, like, hunching as the film went on, Mm -hmm. like, more and more. Like,
0: his body is just, like, taking a toll from working there every day.
1: It's like my nightmare job.
0: Yeah, when he stepped onto that floor, it's great because he goes to interview and Octavia Spencer's like yeah. seven and a half and oh she like <laughs> she opens the door for him <laughs> and he I would be so scared. I wouldn't I wouldn't walk onto that floor with an elevator. No like that. amount of money would make me get <laughs> onto that floor for a nine to five. Yeah, he agrees to do it even after meeting the boss and the secretary and everyone else there who is absolutely batshit fucking crazy. I mean, we know why he sticks in the job. Oh yeah. A Miss Maxine. Okay. So Maxine is played by Katherine Keener. She has to have like the most attractive voice that I've ever heard.
1: And her mouth is very interesting shaped. It's like a upside down triangle.
0: Yeah. It's pretty hot. I think it's her, like, it, it really is her, like, physical movement and her voice that really contribute to how, like, sexy she is. I mean, she even mm-hmm. said that she felt uncomfortable taking this role because she didn't consider herself, like, a sexy person.
1: But I think, like, if Cameron Diaz had been in that role, it would have been, like, a little too obvious, you know? Like, you needed someone with, like, that little spark of, like, huh. Because I think you, or at least I, experienced, like, a moment of, like, Craig being obsessed with her immediately and me being like, huh, like, why her? Mm -hmm. And it made me, like, kind of look at her a little bit closer and then be like, I I do get it. Like, she has, like, that something. And it's more about her attitude that she's just always, (laughs) like,
0: throwing him in the trash. I love it. Like, that brings you closer. So at new employee orientation, Craig meets Maxine and they get fed this bullshit story. I mean, she's not in orientation. She's just sitting in there smoking a cigarette. She's hot. But <laughs> the new employees are fed this story that the owner of the building, whose name was Captain Merton, built the seven and a half floor for his wife at the time, who was a little person, to make her feel like more comfortable in a space. It was a space made just for her, which is like such a bullshit story that I don't think anyone could believe that for like a second.
1: What I want to know is like what the casting call was like for the two people that played in the videotape, <laughs> like recording and what that day on set was like. Yeah, that
0: had to. I mean, so many of these scenes are so fucking weird and obscure, but that one feels like it's got to be the weirdest.
1: Honestly, I respected all of these actors, every single one of them, even the background actors and Octavia Spencer for like... Getting their part and being like, what the fuck? Like, it takes a lot of trust yeah. to believe
0: that this is going to work out okay. <laughs> they're and like, that'd be weird." what other film did this writer write? And they're like, none. None. What about this director? Absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> but it all worked out. It doesn't usually work out that well for people. Yeah. But it did this time. Back at their apartment, Lottie tells Craig that they should try for a baby but their relationship just seems kind of, like, stagnant and, like, sad. Maybe it's all the, like, animals screaming all around them. Yeah, it definitely seems that especially
1: Craig is, like, checked out of this situation. and Because he doesn't even bother to, like, learn any of the animals' <laughs> names.
0: Yeah, th- this is another one of the facets of this story that you're like, there doesn't need to be these animals here. But right. it doesn't feel, like, out of place or, like, it's done as, like, a shtick. It, like, feels very... Like, it could actually be the truth for all these characters.
1: No, I mean, it definitely, like, adds to her character that she cares so deeply for, like, every iguana, every, like, hair on this Elijah's body, you know what I mean? And also, like, to the trapped feeling, because it sounds like she spends, like, hours a day, like, caring for these animals, Mm -hmm. and that's, like, hours away from, like, her actual life. Yeah. And it's... There's so much like trapped in like claustrophobia in this movie.
0: Yeah, there's so many different themes that this movie touches on and just a few of them happen to be queer. But um, yeah, the feeling of being enclosed is like a real thing. I mean, especially with the floor being four feet tall, with the animals and like, I mean, she gets locked in a cage at one point. (laughs) And the little tunnel into John Malkovich. Yeah, exactly. So while chatting with Maxine at work, Craig makes like a lame-ass advance on her and she clocks it immediately. And she says, if you ever got me, you wouldn't have any idea what to do with me. <laughs> I wrote that line down because it was just so funny. And he laughed so hard. He basically just, like, pones
1: his ass like left and right.
0: Yeah, and he like shits his pants. He was like, I, 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 I. He <laughs> <laughs> can't even deny it either. No, he knows in his heart that it's true. So later Craig tells Maxine, um... Like, hey, if I can guess your name, you have to go on a, a date with me. Uh, so he guesses her name correctly
2: in a hilarious
0: scene. And they um, they meet at a bar for a drink. And immediately when Craig tells her he's a puppeteer, she gets the check and leaves.
1: <laughs> She's like, check, please. You know, really the moral of this story is that you should trust your gut when someone says they're puppeteer and a red flag goes up because yeah. it is like
0: the biggest red flag here. Like if finding out Craig was a puppeteer was your final straw, it's like everything else about him before should have been your final straw. He's a creepy dude. He can't take no. He has mm-hmm. that creepy little ponytail. He's married. He's married. Disgusting. Gross. So later while he's puppeteering that night, um, Craig is like, creating a little puppet experience between him and this, like, fake Maxine puppet. And he makes Maxine ask him, why do you like puppeteering? And he responds, perhaps it's the idea of becoming someone else for a little while. So this identity theme is, like, a thread that's woven throughout this movie by each individual character. Like, they all have different experiences with their own identity. And this is just, like, his facet of it. So... (laughs) After being rejected by Maxine a second time at work, Craig finds a door behind a filing cabinet. And once opened, he is transported into the body of John Malkovich. C
1: list former theater actor, John Malkovich. Yep.
0: And uh, it's a pretty like banal experience. Like he's eating toast and reading the newspaper uh, for about like 10 minutes. And then he gets literally dropped onto the side of the New Jersey turnpike. (laughs) This movie is so insane. I can't (laughs) believe it got made. I really, the more I watch it, the less I can believe it's real life. Like it's a real thing that happened. Just out of curiosity,
1: we usually talk about this at the end, but I'm just so curious. What was the budget of this film? Like, was it a huge production or was it like a shoestring budget?
0: 13 million. Like, which I'd have to believe went to the actors. I suppose so,
1: but. I mean, they had to like build the office like there's lots of sets
0: and, you know, a lot of the things are pretty simple to do, but still
1: a little bit million dollars.
0: It's funny you mentioned like that the the set must have been expensive because um, Spike Jones's next film and Charlie Kaufman's next script for adaptation um, is about. The main character is Charlie Kaufman and it's played by Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. I love and, that movie. And so throughout adaptation, you see scenes from that are behind the scenes of being John Malkovich. So John Cusack is in it. Catherine Keener, even Spike Jones. You can see them like walking around. It's such a nice tie in. Mm, yes. <laughs> Chef's kiss. So well done. So he runs, Craig runs to Maxine and expects, I guess, a big response after he tells her that he's just been inside of John Malkovich, to which she doesn't really care, but she calls him up later and is like, let's sell tickets.
1: Oh, that reminded me of Sex Education, that Netflix show. Oh, what about it? Uh, Well, like the first episode is like the hot girl at school finding out like that this nerd who is the lucky son of Jillian Anderson, who's a sex therapist, like knows all these like trick tips and tricks about like sex and reproduction and can give really good advice. And she's like, hey, we should like exploit your knowledge and like do sex therapy sessions for all the kids at our school. (laughs) And he's like, okay, hot girl.
0: Yeah. Is that you're interested in me even a little bit? Okay. I'll do that for money. Exactly. Uh, So Craig tells Lottie about this portal into John Malkovich. And I love that no one really even gives a fuck about how physically or like spiritually this shit could happen. No, no one even take, everyone takes it in stride and they're like, okay, I want to go inside <laughs> John Mildred. No, not an
1: ethical discussion.
0: Mm-mm. I mean, there's a brief
1: ethical discussion, but like very just, brief, but I love that because we just like, accept that this is the rule of the universe. This kind of thing exists. We're just taking that and moving on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we can go much deeper into all the other themes if we're not worried about like, well, how did this happen? Which, We actually do get, like, diagrams later from the old guy Lester of, like, well, this is how it works. And I love that scene. It was so funny to me.
0: So sweet. Yeah. So we skate over how this could possibly be a real thing. And Lottie requests a turn. And as she enters into the body of John Malkovich, uh, John Malkovich is taking a shower. And while inside him, she remarks that she feels, like, actually really sexy.
1: This was so not something I remembered. And didn't really know how to feel about it, but definitely an interesting thing to be approached with in a film. Like, what did, what were your, because she even goes on later in, like, the next scene to basically come out as trans mm-hmm. to Craig and be like, I want to be a man. Like, yeah. You know, like, what a interesting way to explore your identity <laughs> through John Malkovich.
0: Yeah, my, like, my first instinct when watching that, that moment when, Lottie's inside, John Malkovich, is like, oh, this feels like gender euphoria. I think this film does a really interesting job of touching on gender euphoria rather than dysphoria because they don't make it seem like Lottie is having a bad life up until this point because she doesn't feel like her in her body or she doesn't feel like them in their body, whatever the case is. But it's the moment of like elation when they're in John Malkovich, that is the gender euphoria, And they go on to say, like, being inside did something to me. I knew who I was. It's like everything made sense. Yeah. And in the car ride home, Lottie tells Craig, it's kind of sexy that Malkovich has a portal. It's like he has a vagina. He has a penis and a vagina. And I like that.
1: Yeah. Like, it's not like a butthole
0: or a third eye. It's a vagina. I was telling (laughs) my girlfriend about this movie. And I was like, yeah. And then this person's inside Malkovich. And then this person's inside Malkovich. And my girlfriend was like um this sounds like very penetrative (laughs) yeah right i mean it's very
1: invasive it like Mm -hmm. gave me super uncomfortable feelings for john malkovich yeah poor
0: guy poor guy he doesn't deserve this he's just eating toast living life He gets the most fucked out of everyone. 100%. Uh, The next day, Lottie surprises Craig, and she requests to do the Malkovich ride again. Would you do it if you could? Oh, for sure. I think I would, you know, spend a little time around the portal to try to understand, like, if I would die going in there. The repercussions. Exactly. Um, So let me show you this scene. I'm going to show you a clip in which Lottie comes to Craig and Maxine and declares a very important thing about themselves i've been going over and over my experience last night craig it was amazing i've decided that i'm a transsexual i know it's the craziest thing no, craig are you fucking nuts? no it's just that for the first time everything just felt right
1: i've got to make sure but if the feeling is still there I'm going to talk to Dr. Feldman about sexual reassignment surgery. This is absurd! Besides,
2: Feldman is an allergist and if you're going to do something, do it right. we talked about this a million times, all right? You get these half-assed ideas and then you do a half-assed job.
0: Just drop it. It's
1: just that I really... You know, I like Dr. Feldman, all right? So I thought that I would ask him his opinion. Why? You, is there something so terrible about that? Why do you always yell
2: at me I I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Kate. It's just a phase. It's the thrill of seeing through somebody else's eyes. Okay, it'll pass.
1: Don't stand in the way of my actualization as a man.
0: Let her go, Craig. Okay. I mean him. Right now?
1: Uh
2: Uh-huh. It's the middle of the day. How am I going to get her past Lester?
0: Yawn, figure it out.
2: Okay, let's go. Come on.
0: So the reason that I'm switching between a lot of different pronouns when I'm referring to Lottie is because she says in this scene, if these feelings persist, I'm going to get a reassignment surgery. But we know later at the end of the film that Lottie doesn't get reassignment surgery and is living happily as a woman. So... In this scene, uh, Maxine refers to Lottie with the he/him pronouns at the end, which is nice and really affirming to Lottie. But I, I don't know. Do you think that Lottie is a trans man, or do you think that Lottie is maybe coming to terms with being a lesbian, or what? Well, when I watched this scene, I related a lot to
1: it actually because when I was like in college and like figuring shit out, um. When I had this like sexual realization about myself that like I liked women, I was like, "Oh, I'm a lesbian." Like for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um nothing else makes sense. And I like came out to a very select few people as like, "Oh yeah, I like girls. Like that's me now." But then like as I kept going through life and realized like, "Oh, it's a little more complicated than that. Like I like all sorts of people." And mm-hmm. this one label that I thought I related to wasn't accurate anymore. And, you know, like, I think when you have this like gender and sexual identity, aha moment, if it doesn't come to you, like immediately in life, like if it comes later, like me, like once I've kind of found my own footing as myself, like, I think you can jump to conclusions and, you know, because you're just kind of going through the Rolodex of like identity terms to figure out what fits you. Mm-hmm. And maybe at first you land on one, but then later on you're like, oh, actually, I want to change that. And that's like all part of the queer experience is realizing that you can change and you can tell or not tell people, you can explain yeah. or not explain yourself. So I actually really related to Lottie's whole arc in like, She's just trying to explain herself. And she has no one else to talk to about this but Craig. And Craig literally says, like, the worst possible things you can say to someone who's, like, trying to figure out themselves, especially if you say you love them. Craig's an asshole. Craig Craig fucking sucks. Craig can just die. Well, he kind (laughs) of does. So, yeah, I... I really enjoyed the scene. I was like, this is a complexity that didn't register to me when I first saw it, because this was like probably right before, maybe even right around the time that I was like, kind of going through all these personal realizations. So I appreciated this scene, you know, like part of me was kind of cringed at like transsexual and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that not, word. yeah, it's not exactly how someone might describe themselves today. But I thought it was an very interesting and intricate and complex way of looking at sexual identity in a film that that's just one of the many ways that we look at identity Mm -hmm. through these characters so that's that's kind of what I thought about it
0: yeah you're saying like when you finally if if your emotions are pent up your whole life when you finally give yourself the freedom to try things on when you're pinning down your identity you want to declare yourself as something that you maybe don't relate to now it's all part of the process of becoming a queer, like becoming your true queer self. It's like giving yourself the ability to say, like, I think I'm this. I think I'm that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And I relate to this. I relate to this in a, in a different way. I had come out in high school and I was dating someone in the closet who remarked on several occasions that if I was just a guy. You know, I was perfect, but I just wasn't a guy. And oh. it gave me such this like this syndrome Or this, this like traumatic reaction for like so many of my relationships after that, where I never felt good enough because I was just with a person who couldn't love me for who I was. Mm -hmm. So I felt like if I could only just be a guy, but like that feeling is, is that what it means to be trans? It's different for everybody. Right. But now that I've got the distance from that, I'm like, oh, that's for me, that was just my experience of not understanding and loving who I was at that point and letting someone like disrespect me. Absolutely. Which I will say
1: like another reason I really enjoyed the Lottie arc in this story is that she really does her best not to let Craig stomp on her. Like she immediately in this very scene, you can see the sparks in her eyes for Maxine and she pursues her like as heavily as she can Mm -hmm. and doesn't let like Craig the naysayer get to her. And I think that's really cool. And she doesn't even really, like, second guess herself too much. She's like, I want to get into the portal. I want to be John Malkovich. I want to fucking figure this out. And it becomes, like, the number one priority in her life.
0: Yeah. So this, you know, she demands to go back into Malkovich to to determine how she's feeling. And she jumps into Malkovich again and receives a call from Maxine, a very calculated call Maxine makes right after she knows Lottie's entering Malkovich. And... Um, Maxine is like, Hey, I would love to see you tonight. I'm a big fan. And initially, John Malkovich is like, Who is this? I'm not going to see you. But because of Lottie's overwhelming desire for Maxine, Lottie's able to manipulate John Malkovich into like taking this date with Maxine.
1: Oh, I didn't read it like that. But that is so interesting. I like that more. I just mm-hmm. thought he was intoxicated by her voice, like we all are. No. But I believe, yeah, you're right. She was like, Come on, like, go on the date with her, go on the date with her. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cute.
0: Yeah. Lottie's like, do it, do it. Say yes. (laughs) Write, write the name of the place down, write it down. And he like writes it down after he gets off the phone with her. And it's so sweet. And I think that Maxine is like very consciously pursuing Lottie in some like weird convoluted way that even Maxine doesn't understand right now. Yes, absolutely. Later that night on the date, between John Malkovich and Maxine, Lottie is inside Malkovich once again and says, "I've never been looked at like this by a woman before," mm-hmm. and is so happy. Mm-hmm. Ugh, could read it could be read a lot of different ways, but I was just happy for Lottie in this moment. Yeah, just she's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She's obviously getting love and joy that she hasn't gotten from Craig maybe ever, but definitely not now. Mm-hmm. This woman just wants love and specifically female love. And I, for one, support that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It also is giving like compulsory heterosexuality where like there's a chance because I know I felt this way as a lesbian where when I received love from a woman when I was coming out of the closet, I was like, oh, like this would just be easier if I was a man. That's the only way this could work. If I was a man, they're a woman, then that love could work. And, you know, once you you know, come to terms with being super gay. That those those <laughs> ideations kind of go away, and I, I I relate a lot to Lottie in this point in her arc, their yeah. arc, I guess. I don't know. So Lottie tells Craig that they'd like to invite Maxine over for dinner, and I'm going to show you this clip. Yes, it's so weird. So in the clip I'm about to show you, Lizzie uh, Maxine is sitting on a couch in between Craig and Lottie, and she makes a remark, and they both make a sexual advance yes. on her at the same time, and then this is what. Uh, Maxine says. And the ones who don't go after what they want? Well, who gives a shit about them anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lottie. Craig. I just, I don't find you attractive. Mm -hmm. Lottie, I'm smitten with you. (laughs) I am, but only when you're a Malkovich. When I looked into his eyes last night, I could feel you peering out. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Behind the stubble and the too prominent brow and the male pattern baldness, I sensed your feminine longing. And it just slew me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, only as John, sweetie. Sorry. So, Lizzie, how do you feel about that? (laughs)
1: This scene makes me giggle, giggle, giggle. Like, this is such a complex series of dialogue. It's (laughs) funny. I learned so much about everyone's character and just about the world. And I really enjoyed that despite Maxine having... Like, this really weird situation that is unlike any that any other human beings ever had. She has her boundaries and she, like, sets them very clearly. She's (laughs) like, oh, sorry, sweetie. Only when you're John
0: Malkovich. (laughs) Uh And I just love that. Maxine says that so assuredly. Like, she's already come to that point in her mind. Maxine is... Is an incredible character. I think she's so hot. And she is always so self-possessed. Yes. Regardless of whatever fucking weird-ass scenario they're in. So self-possessed.
1: Oh, and they're in love.
0: <laughs> in this really weird fucking way. Which at this
1: point, I was like, there's no way they're going to make it work. But I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, this is like a... We'll get to the ending shortly here. But yes, it's it doesn't bode very well for... Uh, Uh, for Lottie in this situation, even though there is a love there. Um, Definitely doesn't bow well for Craig, so at least we have (laughs) that. (laughs) I forgot about Craig so early
1: on in this movie. It's astounding. It really, like, they do switch, like, main
0: characters a good bit. Like, it kind of becomes Lottie's story halfway through, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So Lottie requests another date with Maxine as Malkovich, and... They, they settle for a time in like the middle of the night. And this is, so I think they very could have easily written Maxine as like a manipulative, loveless person, but she does have a like distinct interest in Lottie. And this scene I think conveys that very beautifully. Like Maxine arrives at John Malkovich's apartment and Lottie isn't present yet in John Malkovich's mind. And John opens the door and Maxine expects Lottie And kisses John Malkovich and pushes him away. And she goes, later, I'm a few minutes early. (laughs) And they sit on the couch awkwardly in silence until... A time gets struck on the clock. And 4.11. 4.11, exactly. <laughs> she turns to the body of John Malkovich and the mind of Lottie, and they just begin to, like, make love in such a beautiful way. And at one point, Maxine slips up and says, I love you, Lottie. <laughs> and Malkovich goes, did you just call me Lottie?
1: She's like, you're cool with that, right? Yeah. He's, He's like, like,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The communication, the sexual communication is so good.
0: This is fantastic. And um, after this, like, the weirdest threesome I would have ever seen in cinematic history, (laughs) technically, I think. Yes. uh, Craig confronts Lottie and Lottie says, we're in love, Craig. Me, her, and John Malkovich.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I think separately John Malkovich
0: is having feelings for Maxine. Like, it's not all Lottie. Yes, exactly. So later that night, Craig runs into Maxine and Maxine remarks that she's falling in love. She doesn't say with who, but I think it's kind of obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a disgruntled Craig forces Lottie at gunpoint over the phone to set up another date with Maxine as Malkovich Are you following this? Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Following you. I like this
1: scene, too, because it could have been, like, really stupid and dramatic, but it was just, like, stupid and funny because it's, like, this tiny little gun. He's like, I'm not really sure how to use this. (laughs) I mean, it did make me really upset because I was like, Lottie doesn't deserve this, but Mm -hmm. it was
0: very slapstick. Yes. It was very, like, three stooges where it's like, ah, get in the cage. Yeah, right. So Craig throws Lottie in a cage and enters the portal of John Malkovich and goes on a date with Maxine. And while him and Maxine are embracing while he's in the body of John Malkovich, he manipulates Malkovich for the first time ever to make like a bodily move. Like he moves Malkovich's hand onto Maxine's breast and like almost gets like a word out. Uh, (laughs) It's so unsettling to watch. John Malkovich did a great job. He really nailed it. Holy shit. (laughs) Uh, Malkovich is like coming apart at the seams. As an individual person, he's like assumed that he's been like taken over by some sort of witch. So um, he follows Maxine and finds the operation they're running to like have people pay to be inside of John Malkovich. And he confronts Craig and Maxine and he says that he wants to go in the portal.
1: It's reckless. I would never go into my own portal. No. What if you just end up in a big infinite consciousness loop?
0: Yeah, a loop. And so he enters the portal and we see the like weirdest, like (laughs) the weirdest reality in which John Malkovich and everyone around him in a restaurant are all also John Malkovich. And the only word that they can utter is Malkovich.
1: (laughs) I was trying to think in this scene, like who, like being blank, like who else would have been a good option for this? (laughs) I really do think Cameron Diaz would be a good one. Diaz. 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 Diaz.
0: (laughs) And the $13 million budget. Let me tell you, this scene looks great. There's babies that are John Malkovich. There are ladies that are John Malkovich. There's old people who are John Malkovich's. I got to say, it's even
1: better than the CGI of the 1999 release, The Haunting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, you could go as so far to say. So Malkovich gets spit onto the side of the New Jersey Turnpike, and he, he demands that Craig close the portal. So the jig is up. Later at their apartment, Craig is upset with Lottie. Because of Lottie's relationship with Maxine. And he says that he didn't do anything with Maxine out of respect for Lottie and their relationship. And Lottie remarks, you didn't do anything about it because Maxine wouldn't let you near her with a 10-foot pole. That is 100% true. This guy's a fuckbag. Dude, this guy's delusional. This guy is delusional.
1: I think he's just manipulating Lottie. I think he's been low-key manipulating Lottie for a long
0: time. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so he takes the phone, sets another date up between Maxine and Malkovich, and after some weird chimp flashbacks... Oh, God. Even the fucking chimp has,
1: like, an identity crisis. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, no stone goes unturned.
0: No, no, no. Elijah's a fully fleshed out character. Fully. Yes. Like with more
1: backstory than like Catherine Zeta-Jones in The Haunting. I'm sorry
0: <laughs> I keep bringing that movie up, but this
1: is such a better one. You've been so burned.
0: <laughs> so Elijah unties Lottie and she's able to escape the cage. And Lottie calls Maxine and tells her what's been going on. And I think Lottie expects Maxine to put a stop to her romantic involvement with John Malkovich, but she doesn't. And maybe you're so sad as an audience member and a lesbian. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is when I, I mean, it's obvious that Maxine is very self-serving. Like that is her number one goal is just like me, me, me. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of like when I thought she was really going out of her way to meet Lottie where they can make it work. And Mm -hmm. this was a little bit against her character. But I guess we get like the full circle-ness of the fact that she actually does love Lottie a little bit later.
0: Yeah, this was a betrayal, but not the worst betrayal I've seen of a lesbian cinematically (laughs) and uh, or lesbian. I don't know. I think actually I kind of think that Lottie could be a bisexual person and is trying to label it like like. Trying to go into super speed mode and figure out exactly what she's feeling and is maybe touching on a lot of different identities, but maybe she's a lesbian, maybe she's bisexual, maybe they're trans. I mean, it could be so many different things. And this movie, I appreciate, doesn't put like a definitive definition on it. Absolutely. It felt the most accurate. So at the next Maxine Malkovich date, Craig is performing very well as a puppeteer, and Maxine requests that he just never leave Malkovich's body. And I think this is some of the best acting Malkovich does in this movie, where he is himself being Craig, with outbursts of himself throughout. It's just like a joy to watch. It's truly just amazing to see.
1: It really is. John Malkovich just took this role after saying no a million times. He said
0: that yes with gusto. He's like, I'm going to fucking commit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so fun to watch. And at the same time, we see that Lottie has gone to Dr. Lester's house. And um, after some prodding, Dr. Lester reveals that he's not Dr. Lester, but he's actually Captain Merton, the creator of the Merton-Flemmer building. And when he created the building, he found the portal and he realized that it was a vessel to another body. And he realized he could live forever by leaping from vessel to vessel. So he jumps into each vessel on that vessel's 44th birthday. Are you with me?
1: Yep, you're setting the rules. They're real clear about it. It was a diagram.
0: (laughs) Yeah, There's like a little book that uh, Dr. Lesser or Captain Merton is showing Lottie. It's so sweet. It's like a little storybook. It's so cute. Um, But he explains that if he doesn't leap into the vessel's body at the right moment on their 44th birthday, that he gets diverted into like a baby vessel in which she can't perform as that person, but he's actually just like absorbed by that person's identity is stuck forever. So just, like get out. Exactly.
1: I wonder if this is like a tried and true version of what people think happens to our consciousness as we like move through life, because I don't know about you, but I personally feel some days that it's as if every 15 minutes I have someone new in the driver's seat up there. <laughs> and sometimes it feels like I'm trapped in my own mind. Like, is this a real version of reincarnation that has been adopted? Like, are there like Malkavites out there who are like, we are all but just caged animals in our own mind.
0: So you're saying that you have a <laughs> portal in your brain that people occupy all different hours of the day. Yes. And if you're in on it, I want to cut. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just want to be very clear about that. (laughs) I I hope I would be making a lot more money if you did have a vessel in your brain. (laughs) Uh, So Dr. Lester or Captain Merton then introduces Lottie to a whole group of what I'll call vessel jumpers. Sure. Which are just other random old people. They don't have like their own portals, but he's devised that they'll all just go into Malkovich on Malkovich's 44th birthday, which seems pretty crammed to me. Right. Do they, like, take turns operating the vessel? You know, that was the
1: one plot point to me that I was like, I don't know if I would agree to that. I would rather die than become, like, 144th of John Malkovich. <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? Yeah. And not even, like, primetime John Malkovich, but, like, <laughs> 45-year-old John Malkovich, you know? Yeah, post-con-air John Malkovich. Exactly. The, the vessel jumpers, as I'll call them, are so... Uh, enamored with Lottie that they offer Lottie a space in the like vessel that is John Malkovich. And so we get a time jump now 8 months later we see that Craig has not left the body of John Malkovich but is like maneuvering him like this great puppet. And Maxine is married to Malkovich and is pregnant with a baby and we see the vessel jumpers and Lottie are also like still monitoring John Malkovich's life. And it's so funny cuz Craig has <laughs> diverted John Malkovich's career from an actor to a full-fledged puppeteer. so respected, too. Yes, a revered puppeteer, which I didn't think uh, sounds like an oxymoron
1: to me. A <laughs> revered puppeteer. Um, this movie kind of gives me some of the same flavors of um, Annette, which I know you haven't seen because no one here has fucking seen that movie. Lee, have you seen it?
2: Yeah, I've seen a net.
1: Drop it down, Lee. Did you kind of get like cuz okay, the premise of a net is that Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard are a couple and they birth a puppet.
2: Like a wooden puppet girl. A
1: wooden puppet girl named, named Annette. Annette. And it's like semi-musical opera. Mhm. But I mean, the only, like, real similarities here is that this Annette puppet girl is, like, literally a puppet. Like, the character (laughs) is played by a puppet. And it's pretty incredible because you still feel things for this puppet, which Craig made me feel things for these, like,
0: (laughs) fucking little puppets on the side of the street. As much as I hate Craig, he's a very good puppeteer. His puppets really slap. And evoke emotion, which is is annoying to me.
1: I just think it's really unique puppeteering in like the film medium. Like mm. I always love a good like mix of medias. And yeah. that's one we don't see a lot. And it definitely like the idea of identity and control in a net is a little similar to John Malkovich because if you remember, mm. like the parents are trying to control this yeah. puppet and make her like a star, like an opera singer.
2: Man, you know, I, I guess I never really like even thought that deep, but that's totally, that's there. Like the parents are totally trying to dictate Annette's life in such a way. And it's funny that it's significant that she's a puppet. Duh, mind blown right now. But <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, there's so many weird parts about that movie Annette that I'm just like, oh, they're just trying to be weird, but...
0: I mean, there's definitely,
2: there's definitely significance to that.
0: You've told me such astounding things about this movie, Annette, and none of them have made me want, want to watch this movie. It's,
2: it's one where I will say like, it would be impo- pretty impossible for me to recommend it to, cause I don't think I even really liked it by the end, but so many of the choices are so interesting and the music is really awesome. Well, here's what I'm going to say. Like some of the songs are really good. Some of the songs aren't that good, I think. So I don't know. I'm kind of weirdly on the fence about it, but I liked it.
1: It's a movie if you want to just kind of like give yourself a little torture exercise and just see something that you'll know you'll never see again. Um, I think we should triple feature Get Out, Annette and being John Malkovich. I
0: think my brain would be like <laughs> scrambled eggs. would be like, literally, who am I? I don't know who I am anymore.
1: <laughs> um, I will recommend Annette, though, because it's so fucking weird. And like Adam Driver. Okay. Adam Driver's hot, right? I think that he's super hot. And, like, you can tell they're, like, kind of dangling him in front of the audience to keep you. Uh, Marion Clotillard is one of the hottest Her as yeah, well. Gosh, like, too. they show them, like, naked every now and then just to be like, come on, keep watching. You Don't why you, why turn you turn this, turn this on. Like the little carrot.
0: Anyway, that was a tangent. There you go, listener. A mini episode on Annette <laughs> in the middle of being John Rathbridge. You're welcome. It's the... Double stuff Oreo you didn't know you needed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so eight months later, Craig is John Malkovich. He's a revered puppeteer, which is a hilarious thing to say. And we see that Maxine is pregnant and she's building a nursery and she's like caressing and apologizing to this doll that we later see is Lottie. It's mm-hmm. like the Lottie puppet um it's just like so sweet it's the gatsby green light it's like i still yeah. love you i don't know what the fuck i'm doing yeah so craig goes to a benefit he comes home and he finds that Maxine has been taken and he gets a call from the vessel jumpers who tell craig that if they that if craig leaves Malkovich's body that Maxine will be safe but if he doesn't that they'll kill Maxine so they it is a bluff but craig doesn't fall for it anyways and he you know refuses to leave Malkovich's body and so Lottie who is overwhelmed and upset grabs a gun and attempts to kill Maxine. Lottie says like if I can't have you no one else will and Maxine runs into the Malkovich portal and Lottie follows her and they have this run through Malkovich's subconscious which is so it's a it reminds me so much of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless mm-hmm. Mind which is you know also written by Charlie Kaufman but is after this. So this precedes that movie. But it's that same feeling where they're like running through their memories, trying to preserve something and like hold on to something. It's that exact same feeling. And um, they pop out of Malkovich's subconscious onto the Jersey Turnpike. And I'm concerned for Maxine's baby at this point. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, that baby is... Is it okay? But they also show Maxine drinking a full glass of wine while pregnant. So... (laughs) (laughs) This baby's fucked up in a number of ways. I mean, Maxine,
1: her number one is her. You know what I mean? She stays that consistent, at least.
0: That's absolutely right. Like, she is a very self-interested character. And like, why would she give a shit about a baby? But she in the scene where she's drinking wine, she's telling her baby bump, like, I love you so much. And she's playing it like music through headphones. So it's kind of like maybe it cancels out. I think that is reflective of her character. Like, she's the most self-interested, but she can't deny that she, like, really loves something else. Yeah.
1: Maybe she's, like, even fighting against it mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, obviously she is because she didn't invite Lottie to take over John Malkovich's body. She invited Craig to. Which, like, looking back, I was like, was that a way to just kind of, like, separate herself so she didn't have to, like, come
0: to terms with her feelings for Lottie for some reason? Well, Craig was the only person who was capable of moving John's body and staying inside of John's body so then there is a level that she's like super attracted to John Malkovich
1: or at least turned on
0: by the idea that someone can control someone else to love her I think it was an almost like an instinct of self-preservation to say I can be attached to John Malkovich and I can control you and you can control him and this is good for me Hmm. But I don't think she's attracted to Craig, and I think her attraction to John Malkovich's physical body is fleeting because we see that Craig has turned John Malkovich into Craig. He has, like, that disgusting ponytail, Mm -hmm. the disgusting (laughs) comb-over. He walks like Craig. He dresses like Craig. He's just so immediately unattractive when he's not actually John Malkovich. Yeah, and also just as oblivious. Mm -hmm. He's like,
1: all right, honey, I'll see you later. And she's, like, literally not talking to him. He's like, okay, love you, too.
0: (laughs) So they get spit out on the side of the Jersey Turnpike, and Lottie tells Maxine that I loved you so much, and Maxine says, I loved you too, and Maxine reveals that the baby that she's pregnant with is Lottie's.
1: You had better work.
0: First time I saw this movie, my jaw dropped on the motherfucking floor. This is—you cannot—I don't think you could— Pause this movie at the 30-minute mark and possibly predict how this movie (laughs) ends. It is fucking bonkers.
1: It's fucking bonkers, but it feels right. It's like the perfect thing to happen. It's like the best case scenario.
0: Exactly. They didn't just go off in multiple tangents. It seems very true to all the characters and the story itself, but it's so satisfying. Yes. So Lottie's like, that's bullshit. And Maxine was like, you were inside Malkovich when this baby was conceived, and that's the only reason I kept it. (laughs) She says, the father, the mother, whatever. I kept it because I knew it was yours. That's so sweet. This,
1: this fucking movie reads like a really confused fan fiction. <laughs> where, like, you shouldn't take every suggestion from your listeners, but it worked
0: out this time. Yeah, this, it. It does seem, if you don't watch this movie and just read the plot points on paper, you'd be like, this is completely deranged. Yes. So later we see that Craig is inside John Malkovich. He's getting drunk at a bar. He gets into a fight with a patron. And then he gets on the phone and calls the vessel jumpers and says that if they just leave Maxine alone, that he'll leave Malkovich. So he does. Craig leaves Malkovich. Poor Malkovich. Poor Malkovich. He's sentient for the first time in eight months and then immediately gets (laughs) controlled again by these vessel jumpers. God, poor guy. That's like my worst case scenario. (laughs)
1: Like to be controlled by like a bunch of old white people. Oh, wait. That's like
0: basically what (laughs) happens today. (laughs) You're like, wait, wait. Actually, that reminds me of something.
1: (laughs) Wait, that feels pretty accurate,
0: actually. So Craig gets dumped out next to Maxine and Lottie on the Jersey Turnpike, and he expects this, like, love from Maxine that isn't there, and Maxine and Lottie leave him in the dust, and he declares in his final moments, like, I'm going back into Malkovich, and I'm going to make you love me again, and then we get a seven-year jump, and we see that Malkovich— is being controlled by the vessel jumpers, and we see that their next vessel is the baby of Maxine and Lottie, and their the vessel's name is Emily, and it's the little baby girl that was born. After this revelation, we see Maxine and Lottie living as two lesbians, like happily ever after with their daughter. And they're so sweet and they're so in love. This ending made me so fucking happy. You guys have no idea. It was like it was like a storybook. Yeah. It was like for once the
1: happy ending that we all wanted Mm -hmm. because they look really happy. So maybe Maxine like, let go a little bit of her self-obsessed bullshit.
0: Yeah. It's possible that Maxine realized that like these, the selfishness that I'm exhibiting isn't actually even good for me. Mm -hmm. And maybe there was a resistance there, like sexually, like it's possible that Maxine was having a hard time identifying herself. We don't see Maxine struggle with their identity, but that's a very actual thing that could have happened. Yeah. Which is what I believe to be true. And we see Maxine and Lottie through the eyes of their daughter, Emily. And then we understand that Craig was diverted into Emily and is like a prisoner in Emily's brain. And he just has to watch like, Two women he at some point loved, like, love each other for the rest of eternity.
1: Honestly, fucking, you get what's coming to you, bitch. Ugh, that poor girl, though, poor Emily, to have, like, this asshole in her head for the rest of her life, even though he can't really do much, he's still there.
0: Yeah, they say, like, Captain Merton explains, like, if you're diverted, you have absolutely no control or influence. So, like, Craig can't do anything, and he's forced to have two women that he loved— love him as like a child so it's like a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. but it's such a good ending holy shit it's like ugh, so satisfying even like the shots they end on are of like
1: emily jumping into the pool and like swimming around in the blue water in slow motion mm-hmm. which is just like a really beautiful and evocative way to end that
0: So, with a budget, like I said, of thirteen million, it went on to gross thirty-two point four million at the box office. With a ninety-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, Roger Ebert awarded this film a full four stars. I don't give a fuck about Roger Ebert. Let me tell you guys right now. But I think it is interesting to understand what this weirdo like loved and hated. But he fucking (laughs) loved this movie.
1: You know, I have said the exact same words as you. It's like, I don't, who the fuck is Roger Ebert? Why the fuck would I care? But every single time I read these motherfuckers' opinion on a movie, I'm like, I specifically thought that as well. (laughs) Like, we are always aligned and it's kind of annoying, but yeah.
0: As he said, either being John Malkovich gets nominated for Best Picture or the members of the Academy need portals into their brains. (laughs) (laughs) Did it get nominated? It got nominated for Best Director, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Screenplay. It was the only Best Director nomination of that year that didn't coincide with the Best Picture nomination as well.
1: I wonder why it got snubbed for Best Picture.
0: I mean, I don't wonder why. They never like anything of value, but... It lost in all categories. Who was the actress Best nominated? Supporting Actress to Catherine Keener, which... I, don't, I mean, I, I would give like it to Cameron
1: Diaz. I yeah, Diaz And yeah. also,
0: did... What about John Malkovich? Nothing. <laughs> like, what fucking better role does John Malkovich need to play? I th- He won, I think, Best Actor for Independent Spirit, right? You could cut this if that's not true, but I, I believe that he won the, the Spirit Awards.
1: That seems unfair, but you know what? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> Closing thoughts?
1: Um, okay, so I have never said this about any movie but Twilight, but I think that this movie would make a really
0: great remake in 2022.
1: I would love to see this idea adapted to a more modern world and modern setting.
0: Yeah, that's a... I've never even considered them remaking this movie because it didn't seem like... I guess the, like, reveal of it all is so shocking that, like, remaking it could take some of that away. Some of the, like, magic of realizing what the story is for the first time. But I don't know a lot of people who have, like, seen this movie.
1: Right, like... it. It will never get remade because it's not like Jurassic Park, you know, Um, but I think that there's just so much more that you can say with like it just opened the portal for like these kinds of weird and complex identity questions. Yeah. And I would love to see this movie done with like just, you know, a different kind of angle. Because, you know, there's always a way to twist the ending a little bit. There's always a different way it can go. Because you can always play with the expectation of the audience knowing how it ended Mm -hmm. and doing something different. Yeah. Um, That's my only closing thought.
0: Well, I said, I don't know a lot of people that have seen this movie. And I know you're listening at home and you're like, well, I've seen this movie and all of my film friends have seen this movie. (laughs) I'm not talking to you, beautiful listener. I'm talking about like your mom or your cousin or your girlfriend or your boyfriend It's like I could throw a stone at a group of people and not hit anyone that's seen this movie. No one in this building, I assure you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lee, do you have any closing thoughts?
2: I was just going to say maybe a John Malkovich TV series. That could be... Being John Lukavage. Like I could see it come out as a TV series, maybe.
1: You know who could totally tackle this? The Daniels. Yes. This is totally up their alley of like multiple. Yeah, Yeah, who's
2: that today? The Daniels, like because Charlie Kaufman is is like a thing of that era. I know he's still doing stuff, but who's like the wacky weirdo like filmmaker? You know, we had like Michelle Gondry and and Charlie Kaufman, Mm -hmm. who were like the expressive artists.
1: Lee, I don't know why you're asking us. You would be the one to know that. <laughs> yeah, is. <laughs> that Daniels oh. is a good... Daniels yeah. is
2: a good... Um, I think
1: Daniels is the closest. Yeah.
0: Okay. Time for the scores. So the scores work on how gay is it? How good is it? They're scored out of 10. And that is average to give us our overall subtextual score. Show sure enough. <laughs> Lizzie, how how good is this film? This film is really good. It is a 8. For me? All right. Um, so I'm going to give this film a 10 because I fucking love this movie. I wouldn't change a hair on this movie's head. Not even that wig that Cameron wears? <laughs> it's not a bad wig, I'll have you know. I've seen so much worse wigs. I've seen some <laughs> bad fucking wigs. Looking at you, RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> okay, Lizzie, how gay is this movie?
1: 10. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10.
0: I would agree. Great. Great. All right, Sam, do the math. What's our subtextual score? Our subtextual score, I'm delighted to inform you, is a 9.5.
1: Damn.
0: Damn, that's high. So at number six, it has kicked out Black Swan and is now between Bend It Like Beckham at number five and Fried Green Tomatoes at number seven.
1: Nestled right in between those lesbians. Here's two more lesbians for you. (laughs) I'm sensing a theme here.
0: (laughs) Do we like lesbians?
2: What's number 10? Like, what's next on the chopping block?
0: That would be Girl Interrupted. (sighs) So, (sighs) Bing John Malkovich effectively kicked out Black Swan. So, yeah, Girl Interrupted. You count your days, bitch.
1: Days are numbered. Thanks for listening to this episode of Subtextual. We've started a Patreon. If you want bonus content and to look behind the scenes of what we do here in the podcast, you can find us at patreon.com subtextualpod. See you next week.